You are listening to the To Faithful Men podcast. To Faithful Men is a project that started in 2006 to digitize and preserve old sermon and study tapes of Elder Wally Flanagan, Elder Hassel Wallace, and Elder Mike Strevel. They were pastors and teachers, and they studied to teach and train up others to continue in the ways of truth. I am thankful to be able to provide you with these sermons and studies, and I hope they will be a blessing to you. So, this poor man was laid daily at his gate. The implication, of course, is that the rich man did nothing to alleviate his suffering. Did not give him any food, just the table scraps. Afforded him no medical attention or comfort. And so, they both died. Now, we ought to consider that this life is transient. It's passing away. It's short. And every one of us is going to die. And I wonder if it could not properly be said that what we did with our money is probably the most truly indicative aspect of our spiritual well-being, what we did with our money. That we, not that we made it, not that you know, I've told you I've come back from these third world countries determined not to make anybody feel guilty for having anything. But what we do with our money, um, are we generous? Are we faithful, even here in this church, to, to, to give, to support the church financially as our covenant tells us to with our tithes and our offerings? When special things come up, are we willing to willing to make even some sacrifices to do the special things that that come along our way. You know, I would think that what we do with our money might be the most clear indication of really the condition of our hearts. It was of Lazarus's. It was, it, I mean, of the rich man's. It was indicative of his of his heart. And he was called to task for it, not in this life. He fared sumptuously till the day he died. Lazarus fared ill until the day he died. But then they both did die and Lazarus was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. I believe that this is what is called paradise. Remember Jesus when he hung on the cross said to the thief, he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest in thy kingdom, said, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. And so the Bible tells us that when Jesus died, his soul descended into Hades. And that is the word hell here in our passage. The word hell is used one time. It's the word Hades. You, some of you who were here three or four years ago may remember I did a kind of an extensive study on, on the subject of hell, what the Bible says about, about hell. And, and I'll just give a short version here that it seems to be that before the Lord Jesus actually made His sacrifice at Calvary, 
that when every man died, whether he was a child of God or not, his soul went into Hades. That is simply the place of departed spirits. But those who, who, who were believers, those who were chosen by God, those who were, who were His people, they went into paradise. Those who were not went into what is commonly referred to in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament as Sheol, that is, the place of torment. There's two words that's translated hell in the New Testament, Hades and Sheol. Hades is simply the place of departed spirits. That's where everybody went when they died before Jesus made His sacrifice. Everybody went to the place of departed spirits. Uh, some went into Abraham's bosom, that is, to paradise. Some went to, to Sheol, this place of torment. And that's where uh, Died finds himself. He is, in, he is in this place of torment. And he can see across this chasm. He can see paradise. Oh, what a, what a terrible thing it must have been. Not just to have been in torment. Not just to have been in these flames that were tormenting him continually. But to be able to even see across this chasm those who were in paradise. Enjoying the blessings of, 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 uh, of life with, with uh, the Lord not quite yet with Him. In Abraham's bosom, in paradise as it was called. And, and then, of course, in, in the fourth chapter of the book of, of uh, Ephesians, after Peter tells us that when Jesus died, His soul descended into Hades. That is the place of departed spirits. And there he preached to the spirits in prison, which I believe he preached to the souls in paradise. And he told them of his work and of, of what he had accomplished. And so it says in Ephesians 4 that when he ascended up on high, he led captives in his train. And so here was this whole entourage when Christ ascended up. Here's this whole entourage that accompanied him into the very presence of God, and so it is said in the New Testament, after the death of Christ, that those who die in faith, those who long for His coming, those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, those who were chosen by God in Christ before the foundation of the world, that they go into the presence of God Himself. Because the sacrifice has been made. Our souls no longer go into this place, Hades. It's still there. And the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that finally and fully, that death and Hades will be cast into the lake of fire that burns forever. Now we have before us here not only a contrast of rich men and poor men who lived in this world, not only those who shut up their bowels of compassion like the rich man, but those who opened their bowels of compassion like Abraham, who had money and used it well to the glory of God. The rich man, on the other hand, had money and did not use it well for God's glory, but for His own self-aggrandizement, for His own well-being, and nothing more. Ah, pity, pity the person who uses all of his substance, all of his income, who uses that to help himself. He finds himself more sadly aligned with dives than Lazarus every time. What a blessing it is to be able to share a portion of what God gives us with with uh, the Lord's church and with the Lord's work in this world and also per personal and private acts of, of charity and helping that we see and, and come into contact with every day of our lives, even we here in America. And so, 
The rich man is in this place of departed spirits in the torment. Lazarus is also in the place of departed spirits. He is also in Hades, but he is in paradise. Now, there's something we must consider further in this story, this parable. When he looked across this chasm, this great gulf that was fixed, he says he recognized Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, next to Abraham's side, a place of blessedness. He said, Father Abraham, let him just dip his finger in some water and come and, and alleviate this torment that I'm in. And Abraham says, it cannot be done. There's this great gulf. It cannot be crossed. People who were here, if they wanted to go there, couldn't. Those who were there who wanted to would not come. They cannot come here. I always think of, I know you get tired of hearing it, but I don't get tired of telling it, so uh, I think about old Mark Twain, the comment he made about heaven and hell. I tell you, I think it kind of relates to the condition of the natural man. He said, he said he thought he would probably prefer the climate of heaven, but the society of hell. Well, I think he said that because he took neither of them as seriously as at least as he ought. Um, hell is a very serious place. Your brother Thomas Floyd recently preached on hell, and I appreciate him preaching on that. It's, it's a biblical subject. It's one that needs to be considered. It's one that you and I need to come face to face with. It's a real place from which we have been delivered. We trust by the grace of God. But heaven also is a, is a real place. Well now, what about... What about dies? He turns from himself and he says, Father, Abraham, if you if he cannot do that, at least let someone go back and warn my brothers. I have five brothers. And they're in the same shape I'm in. Let them be warned or they also will come to this place. Now, some have taken this parable to indicate something here of Hades and all this consideration of, of this intermediary place before Christ made a sacrifice as, as somewhat tantamount purgatory. It's a place where people are temporarily in torment as a, as a purging to purge out of them their wickedness and once they've gone through all of that. Well, of course, that's all spurious. There's nothing in the Bible about all that. And... I want you to think about the rich man's request. What is it? What is it really that he's saying here? Well, I think he has a real concern for his family. You know, I think on that and I think about benevolence. And here's a man who thought about his family, cared for his family. And so you and I must not um, imagine that your love for your family meets the requirements of God with regard to the use of your money. Now the Bible says that if a man does not provide for his own household, he has denied the faith. He's worse than an infidel. But I'll tell you something. I believe a man who can never think outside his family is just in this case. Like this rich man. All he can think about is himself, his family, those who are closest to him. 
those who, whom He has a natural affection for, indeed, that they are the ones that are our first concern, our primary concern. Certainly, we should not allow those nearest to us and our families to suffer at the expense of someone else. But we who fare sumptuously, we, we are able to provide for our families without, without great struggle and even have some left over after that. And if we pour that out on our families, what a sad thing it is. All we can think about is my four and no more. Even as a church, you know, we, if, if all the things that we have ever done here would just be focused on ourselves, what a sad commentary that would be on us. But oh, how grateful I was to see that, that picture of those men building that little frame for a, for a place of worship there in Nairobi and to know that we had a little part in that and, and uh, other places that we have, we've been a, a blessing to other people. We must think outside ourselves. We must think of something besides selfishness. Well, um, I see something else in this. I see, I see, in essence, the rich man shaking an accusing finger in God's face. You know what he says? If I had received proper will, I wouldn't be here. And I couldn't help but think of Mr. Lindley and his depiction of, of hell and the things they were saying in hell. And you know what? He was, may have been a little more correct than I imagined. Lord, why, why did you not do something for me? Why did you not help me? You helped up. Why didn't you do this? Um, well, the Bible actually depicts those in hell as being blaspheming God. And I believe that's what the rich man's doing here. He's accusing God. He's saying, if you had just given me a proper warning, I'd not be here. But at least let my brothers get this proper warning. Now, the reason I think that, that this, is, this is not a good thing to be said about dives is Abraham's terse answer to him. He simply says, as I said, very tersely, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. No, no, Father Abraham, no. I, I know that if someone were to go back from the dead, they, they would repent. Well, at least he's acknowledging that there's something from which, of which to repent. He says they would repent. Abraham says this chilling thing to him. He says, no, they wouldn't. They would not be persuaded. Though one rose from the dead. If they would not hear the Word of God as it is faithfully preached in whatever context it is in that day in the synagogues, Moses, the prophets, the preaching of the Word of God in which benevolence, benevolence to the poor is very clearly marked out in, in Scripture. Uh, the proverb says, he that, he that gives to the poor lends to the Lord. And that which He has given him, God will never despise. And so we, we, don't, we don't find benevolence as just a New Testament principle. In the Old Testament, they were, they were commanded when they, when they went out and cut their fields that two things that they must never do. They must never cut into the corners. They must leave the corners uncut. And anything that fell to the ground that they were cutting they were not allowed to gather up. And so that would be for the poor to come and clean in the corners of the field. And whatever was dropped on, onto the ground, the poor people could come along and, and pick up. 
And so the story of Ruth tells us of, of, of that one, that woman who came and gleaned in the field of, of Moab. She went and cut up in the corners. She, she picked up the loose parts and, you know, Boaz said, let, let some of the hands full fall on purpose so that her job won't be quite so demanding. And so all throughout the, the, the scriptures even, benevolence to the poor has been set forth. And Abraham says, he, they, they can hear Moses, let them hear the prophets. And if they won't hear them, they wouldn't hear if one rose from the dead. Now that's a pretty startling revelation, you know what? You think if dear old long departed uh, Aunt Sally were to appear to you one night at the foot of your bed and to you, you need to change your ways about X, Y, or Z. And I, I dare say, you'd probably be startled You'd be fearful. You'd probably listen to what she said, but it probably wouldn't be long before whatever Aunt Sally thought you ought to be doing that you weren't doing, not that you were doing, you'd probably go back right to it. Because if God does not work a grace, work a grace in the heart, go to it and you do what's right. But if God has worked a grace, work a grace in the heart, then the, the, the prophets, Moses and the prophets, now to us the apostles, and the, the preaching of the Word of God, will do that. If the preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ in which it is said of Him that that though He were rich, yet for your sake He became poor that ye through His poverty might be made rich. If that will not induce a person to give of His material means to, to the benevolent works of God, to the church of God, to the poor, in whatever ways that might, if that does not induce them to do that, I dare say Sally wouldn't succeed either. Because if God's done a work of grace in our hearts, to do the work God was done. Now, the difference in this and others is that no moral is drawn for us. And we're left to draw the moral the point for ourselves. Well, I think we must go back to that 10th verse, to this statement that Jesus made, and say, say that he that is not faithful in the least, how shall he be trusted with that which is greatest? God has given you and me money. Relatively speaking, he's given us lots of money. We fare sumptuously every day. And though we have no poor man laid at our driveway every day. Yet, we always know things of situations. And there's some goals that I want us to, to reach this coming year that I want to talk about springing from this that I'll talk about, about later. Some, some financial goals for us and helping people, helping situations that we know of. May God bless us to take a lesson from the rich man and Lazarus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are thankful this morning word that guides us into all truth. And for this sobering discourse and account of the rich man and Lazarus. He was this rich man who right under his nose was, an, was a perfect opportunity to share his material wealth. But no, he hoarded it up. 
Even though he fared sumptuously every day, he would have no heart of compassion for others. He could not think outside the box of himself and of his family. Lord, deliver us from such a thing. Lord, you said that we have Moses and the prophets too. And we have now, we have the Lord Jesus and the apostles to hear. Lord, bless us to hear them. To hear them loudly and clearly. I thank you, Lord. Oh, how I thank you that our people at large, the old Baptists in America, have opened up a heart of compassion to help in the spread of the gospel, which is the greatest need of any man. And then of these benevolent works that are also being done. We thank You, Lord, for people like Brother Guna in India whose heart of compassion has caused him to reach out to the the orphans of his land, to the harders and others in the Philippines who have reached out to the sick and the suffering of that land. Lord, we think of our brethren in Africa who in their penury have reached out to the poor even among themselves being poor. And so, Lord, I pray that You would bless us to be mindful of them, be mindful to help them, to be generous with our, with our money, knowing that we'll have lots left over. After we have given graciously, after we have given generously, that we will still fare sumptuously. We will just not fare wickedly. Help us, Lord, with Your wisdom in this, in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we've spoken mostly of money here today, but we could also expand the whole thought as does hymn number 253. It says, Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my hands let them move with the impulse of their, thy love. All service to God, of course, does not revolve around money. Uh, it revolves around words. It revolves around deeds of kindness. And, and uh, it, ta- it, it revolves around thinking outside ourselves, taking meals to people who, who have particular needs, of sending a card, making a call, doing the simple things that are all around us every day of our lives. And we're so prone to get wrapped up in ourselves. May God deliver us from the self-centeredness that consumed dives and was His undoing. Let's stand and sing 253. This is a prayer directed towards God.
Thank you for listening to the To Faithful Men podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app. Also, if this podcast has been a blessing to you, please share it with others and help our ratings by giving us five stars and writing a review within your podcast app. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also.